The following content is not a substitute for medical advice. Hey, 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 it's the doctor and the DJ, doctor and the DJ. I'm John Richards. I am here with my co-host, and uh, I believe she's married to me as well, which is kind of crazy. Amy, hi, Dr. Amy's still married, (laughs) even after all the (laughs) podcasts and stuff. Uh, We were were listing off the things last night, actually, when we were laying in bed. Uh, I don't know how this started. I said, uh, I'm your husband, so I'm coming to bed or something. And then I said, oh, yeah, I'm your business partner and your co-host to your podcast and father of... Your children and- you you were talking about something that was not sexy time <laughs> and we were getting in bed and you were in your underwear and i was like that is sexy i Sorry. was like yeah. dude can you finish talking about that before you get into bed and which choose the relationship oh, yeah, you want to have right now right it, somewhere in the spouse lover area but not in like yeah you don't want sex not business, business partner, partner most yeah. not parenting partner mm, not no. House manager. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, made us laugh. That's our night ended. And we we have a very busy, we actually have a very busy time. We just got back from our retreat. So a big thank you to everybody who attended the doctor and the DJ retreat. Uh, I learned a lot. I had a really good time. Shout out to all the participants and our friend Jen. Jen Wood, who, who uh, uh, joined us for the uh, for the podcast as well. If you missed that, make sure you're, you're listening and download the podcast. We do this live on YouTube as well, which we're doing right now. And uh, we're doing another retreat as well. We're not announcing that right now. No, Amy, we are. We're not announcing. It's a big one, though. But we are teasing you with it. Nice. In the radio world, we call this a front sell. <laughs> front selling for you to stay tuned to hear about our retreat, which is going to be, can I say it's in a... Not the location, but the idea of the location. Yes. Of another country. We are leaving the United States for this one. Very excited about it. Yes, and we're shooting for summer 2024. End of summer. Get out of the smoke. Smoke fire. We're going somewhere where hopefully Pacific Northwest. Which is getting harder to do. But we're going to do that. And we also, uh, if you're tuning in live right now, and it's not yet uh, Sunday, November 12th, we uh, we have Death and Music coming up. Amy and I will be hosting. Um, an amazing lineup is happening this year at the Moore Theater, where we're being joined by all of our friends. Uh, it's family. It's just going to be family that night. Including Chana Shepard, who was just a guest on the show the other day. We booked her uh, live for Death and Music on this show. And we have Jimmy James and Riz. Rollins is going to be performing. Tomonakiyama will be playing guitar. There is talk that Sarah Cahoon may be joining now, Amy. Oh, I just nice. got an email today about that. So we're just, we're, we're adding to the bill as we go. We've so, got Mike McCready. Mike McCready, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other just, it's just family here in Seattle. And they're all going to be at the Moore Theater uh, where uh, I saw uh, Pixies for the very first time. It was the first show I ever saw in Seattle. was at the Moore Theater. Saw Pixies. Couldn't believe there were all those people there. What were they touring? What album was that? God, that would have been, we may have to ask our, our guest today. Um, he's a fellow Pixies expert. Uh, I think it was, it was 89. So Surfer Rosa, I want to say. No, Doolittle. 89, Doolittle, I think it was Doolittle. Um, but it was a very good show and it kind of was life changing for me to come to Seattle, visit my brother and go see that show. So that, um, that's happening on Sunday. Um, anything else? Death and music is happening on Sunday, not yeah. um, the Pixies. No, Pixies yeah. not happening on Sunday. Um, I think that's it. I 
personally, I'm very excited about our guest today. Well, it ties into what, actually, <laughs> anything we're talking about pretty much ties into our first guest today. Um, our first guest. You're our only guest, by the way, today. <laughs> first guest today. <laughs> Forgot to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bring people back from your past. Um, I, we want to introduce our friend, Nabil Ayers, who's uh, joining us uh, from Los Angeles today. Uh, uh, his book is just amazing. Um, if you have not read it, uh, it is one of my favorites, uh, My Life in the Sunshine. And uh, I have so many things I want to talk about it. But it's also interesting to read a book from from a friend. We've known Nabil for separately. We both met him. We were trying to figure out when we first met, met Nabil um, years ago. But um, I couldn't figure it out. It's got to be at Sonic Boom Records. It's got to be when I met Nabil. I, it's got to be. Uh, but it could have been at a show, and it could have been 13 other things. But his, to, to read a book from your a person you've known so long and learned so much more about him is pretty cool. We should all have a book. We should all have a book, hand it to our friends, be like, here you go. Just like throw it on the table. If you still want to be friends, let me know. Yeah. No, I met Nabil backstage at a show he was the drummer at. And I think it was Alien Crime Syndicate. I think that was the band he was playing in. Anyway, Nabil, are you around? Where are you? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I think I'm here. Am I around? There you yeah, are. there you go. All There's right. It's, it's funny to sit hiding behind the curtain hearing you say things. <laughs> and nice to be well, here. We were, Thanks for having well, me. Well, we were just talking about the show we have coming up on Sunday and how you know you lived here and for years and we're in the music world, clearly. It, it is family here. It really, I, I, I was struck by um, a lot of things in your book, but when you when you talked about how you came to Seattle and just immediately were in the music scene and immediately at the record store and, and playing in bands and getting to know people, that was my experience as well. As soon as I decided I wanted to be in the music world, I was in it. And I don't know if that's the case in most cities, but I sure feel like it was and is here. Yeah, we were pretty spoiled, I think. And I think, uh, and you know, I was in bands then and I toured a lot. So I think I realized that it wasn't like that every place else. But I think a lot of people in Seattle assumed it was. And maybe mm -hmm. I appreciated it even more because I knew it wasn't, if that makes sense. But it's always been a yeah. very special place. Yeah. Well, Nabil, you are a, a very busy man. So I appreciate you taking some time. I'm You've always be been. Here. <laughs> you, you've in reading your book, I I, I felt uh, I felt inspired as to someone who does a lot of different things as well, and I it was you know, and I know that about you, but it was really fun to read about it. But uh, I just visited you not too long ago yeah. in the New York offices and got to see um, you you in charge of all those people over at Beggars. That was. Uh, <laughs> That was pretty exciting. I gotta say, as a kid who grew up on the uh, on the Four AD record label, I was I was excited just to be there. I let still alone get know the guy. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're the president of Baker's Group over there. You've yeah. uh, you're clearly a writer as well. You've written your memoir. I'm just blown away that you are also. It's like you're back in the band touring with this uh, with <laughs> your book. That's exactly Tour, how right? I put it. I figured out a way at 51 years old to be in a band without <laughs> drums and without other dudes. And it's awesome. <laughs> it's probably a lot easier tour, I would think, than the bands yeah, yeah. and the dudes. But also, yeah. not, you know, sometimes less fun. It's, it's quiet at times. How has that part of it, just jumping ahead, how is the tour part of it? Because we know the book part. We read the book. We're, you know, we're familiar with, with the story now. But I'm just jumping ahead a little bit. Um What's the what's the speaking tour been like? I've read some of your emails that are really interesting how it's different when you talk at a college and it's different right, to a right. bookstore, but what's been your experience? 
It's really fun. I mean, I, I really have kind of, I mean, the book's been out for almost a year and a half and I'm still doing stuff. I've done about 70 events and a lot of it is because it's fun and I like doing it and it's promotion, air quotes. Can you see that? <laughs> but, uh, but there's this element, I mean, so much of the book is about family that I sort of was looking for and didn't know and ultimately did connect with in the book, which is great. And as a result of the book, I've connected with a lot of new people and something I found is, you know, sometimes I'll get Facebook messages from new people or Instagram DMs, or there's lots of different ways people get in touch. But the best way is when I show up somewhere and someone is there and says, hey, I'm your cousin. And that has happened multiple oh. times. And so that's why to me, it's like, well, I haven't been to Cleveland yet. I haven't been to Detroit yet. And I go to those places and it happens in Cleveland. It didn't happen in Detroit, but it's still really like a lot of it is like this real time keeping it going thing where it feels like as long as I keep pushing things keep wow. happening it's really fun and and you did meet up with karen from the from yeah. the book can you yes. for people who haven't read it really quick can you say who karen is <laughs> yeah I'm the, the you really did a better job than i can is, i'm trying to think i mean i you know my father <laughs> is the jazz musician roy Ayers. i've never known him we've met a few times but really just not a part of my life um but i got a family tree several years ago that taught me a lot more about his side of the family black side of the family my mother's white my father's black and I learned a lot about um, my first enslaved ancestor who lived in Alabama and Tennessee, and I think he was born in 1824, and did some research and found this woman named Karen, who I believe is the descendant of the slave owner. She is white. She lives in Texas. And I emailed her, and we became really great friends <laughs> over email. And we have this really interesting relationship where, you know, she didn't do anything to me, and she's being very helpful and, and knows things from back then. So... But we'd never met. We'd actually never even spoken. We've only emailed for probably five years. And so I did a book event in Austin and she lives not far from Austin and she came and we hung out and I interviewed her and I recorded it and she came to the bar afterwards. She's, I don't know, I think she's 70 years old. Like it was really great. And, and we still don't know. I think we're related, actually related. She hasn't done a DNA, DNA test. She might, but there's also this element of does it really matter and neither of us really cares so it's a, it's a really interesting american story to me yeah and and the sister who turns out wasn't your sister but really is is very <laughs> it really is your it's sister inspiring right. man like just mm -hmm. your attitude about it this found family and this journey but to add that you've gained even past this the end of your book yeah more family members or blood or not yep. is really inspiring your definition of family is is inspiring to me it's pretty fun yeah it's it's a really wild ride that just keeps going and i love it <laughs> well i think that that's how we connect with family or chosen family or friends or community is when we start going into this inquiry of our almost of ourselves like our personal life and what's going on here and what do I what am I trying to discover about myself or about um my relatives or in your case your father and your family and as we start to step into the light like in into the sunshine <laughs> as we sorry I couldn't resist that, as we start to <laughs> step into that and it often happens in middle age like it often happens like this isn't happening at 18 years old 18 years old we're just still like fucking i don't know what we're doing right <laughs> but in midlife we start to ask these bigger questions and life has more meaning for us but as we go through that process and the more we put ourselves out there the more we 
find those people and they connect. I, you know, I'm thinking specifically when you're writing those New York Times articles and people would call you and be like, hey, I'm your aunt. I'm your cousin, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I'm so awesome. Yeah, you hadn't even totally like I think completed right the book. The, yeah, the age thing is a part of it. I think, you know, for any of this to work and happen, first and foremost, I had to be curious and interested in going down all these paths. And like you say, at 18, it never even occurred to me. It would have been maybe easier then because more people were alive or more people would have mm -hmm. been younger and had better memories. But at 18, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. I just wanted to work in a record store and go to Pixies concerts or whatever. So, so it took a while, but, but yeah, I mean, and I'm lucky in that I got to write a book about it and that getting out there has helped more people find me. So it's sort of this, this two way thing that's happening. Yeah. And, and I, I can't ignore what Amy has in front of her. Uh, we just jumped to that. What was shocking in your book, we already knew you in Seattle. <laughs> But Amy is holding up for our podcast listeners. She's holding up a East Side um, high school yearbook from Salt Lake City. Now, you, again, we've all known each other for decades. I met you. Well, we moved. I, I, I didn't know this. I mean, we may have talked about it in the past, but we both moved to Seattle at the same time. Summer of 93. You and I both moved to Seattle. Right, right. I was Turns in Tacoma out. in college, so in the area. Yeah. But yeah, summer of 93. Yep. Yeah, right? but you officially came. And I was in Spokane, which is uh -huh. kind of in the area. Right. Um, and same reasons, you know, or a lot of the same reasons right. I saw for me, it was, <laughs> yeah, screaming. I saw right. screaming trees and love battery at the Met in Spokane was Whoa. going to 4,000 holes and buying records. Yeah. And my brother lived over here and I had to get here. And then when I was reading, I was like, oh yeah, it's the same, same summer, probably <laughs> within weeks of each other. Wild. And we both found our way here. And, and so we all, you know, and Amy and I, met you separately and then know each other through the years. But then Amy's reading your book or reading and, um, and Salt Lake city comes up where Amy is from. Mm. Yeah. I am from Salt Lake city, born and raised. Wow. And I went to East high. Just like, and you're talking about all this stuff about East high. You're talking about the ground level lockers and the right, hidden right. swimming pool. And like, <laughs> I'm like, what the You knew all that fuck? stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, knew the, you knew about the pool? The, the... Yes, because I was in dance company. Mm -hmm. And our dance company uh, practice space was apparently next to the swimming pool. Right, and like behind right. a wall, there was where the swimming pool was. And the locker rooms were the old locker rooms to the swimming oh. pool. And I was on the diving team at, at East. Mm -hmm. So we had to travel to a different swimming pool because yep. East didn't have their swimming pool that. anymore. When I was so there, we had to travel to the South, South high school so swimming pool. To, you did go to South. That's, that's interesting. I thought South closed. <laughs> it's getting deep. So what's the difference? <laughs> what, how many years really quick? How many years are between you then? You were not you You've graduated the year graduated before she 80, started 89. Yeah, and I started in fall of 89. So you and I just missed each other, but oh, okay. so my never siblings, the same time. Right, okay. three of my siblings were in high school with you. Oh, whoa. <laughs> what, what are their right. names? Yeah, so actually this is kind of Is there a sharing and Did I just make that up or is that a person? That's my sister, and she passed away. <laughs> oh, no, God, she I'm passed sorry. away, and I was actually thinking this. I, I mean, was like, Nabil her. went to school with my year? sister who passed away. Y yeah. I think, music, big music fan. Like, 
I think Sherry sh- Lindsay, that's my sister. Short, shorter than me. Like, yeah, oh yeah, she's God. short. She's she was like five two. I totally remember her. We weren't good friends, but we like were in the same sort of friend group. And I remember one specific trip where a bunch of us went to a friend's cabin because kids in Salt Lake had those. It was in Heber or like out like past Park yeah, City. Yeah, Heber. Way mm-hmm. out in Heber. And it was just like, you know, 10 of us went up there and drank. And I remember riding snowmobiles in crazy, mm-hmm. like big silver, like almost hazmat suits. And it was just like a bunch of like 16, 17 year olds doing that. And Sherry was one of them. In fact, we might have been on the same snowmobile. Maybe that's why oh, I remember yeah. that, God. it was like pairs yeah. of people on it. Oh, wow. I'm so yeah. sorry to hear that. I didn't. That's crazy. Yeah. So <sighs> that's interesting because I was looking through this and I was doing the math in the shower this morning. I was like, Wait a second. I think he was Sherry's year. Holy Whoa. shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have. I've yeah, you pulled that right out. 30 plus years later. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, so I think she actually was a year ahead of you. I think okay. she graduated yeah. one year ahead of you. But that makes sense, like the story about Heber. Because, yeah, so I have so many things to say right now. I'm trying to. <laughs> have my brain catch up to my mouth but or my my mouth catch up to Seen my to brain be wherever you go this is now your thing this <laughs> is, is i mean i love it this is, yeah <laughs> yeah this, this so, just feeds right into the like the more you do things the more you learn yeah. and the more people pop it's great 100 yeah. my other sister <laughs> becky would have been just younger than you so okay. sherry was a year older than becky so you were right like the year mm-hmm. in between those what was two. greg 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 may have graduated before you started. She has 13 siblings. So the odds of it. Salt Lake City. Yeah, Yeah. Salt Lake City. But East High School, so specifically East High School, had a lot of like um, upper middle class families up on the East Bench. And that's where my family lived. Mm -hmm. And then we had like upper middle class in the Avs. And so those were all in the avenues and that. All those families and a lot of those families and a lot of them Mormon Mm -hmm. had these giant ranches, like giant ranch cabin places in Heber for like you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. And I spent plenty of time drinking in Heber myself with (laughs) with whatever someone had the keys like you know like someone had some older sibling in college had the keys and got their younger siblings and their friends and then once you're in heber heber was only like 45 minutes from the wyoming border so there's lots of going to buy because salt lake had this probably has had liquor laws were like you could only have 3.2 percent beer but in wyoming you could get anything so kids would drive to wyoming well and in Wyoming, you could be 19 <laughs> oh, and you could go just, really? yeah. And so you could just go right over the border and there was a very specific place everyone went. And I remember going there and going in the uh, walking cooler and just like picking up the beer. And I don't know, I was like, what, 16 or some shit? Like, <laughs> Mickey's Big Mouths was the beer that a lot of people like, oh, like green, yeah. green stubby yeah. bottles with big mouths on them. And the thing kids would always say like. Oh, I'm at this crazy party. I drank, I drank 14 beers. And you're like, really? You're like, well, seven Wyoming beers. That was like the- <laughs> so you, you all, yeah. Just for people who are just, yeah, now people are just like, what is this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I thought we were going to talk about music the, again and every, race, everyone, and identity. Every, <laughs> everyone here has known each other for over 20 years. Yeah, in Seattle. <clears throat> And it just came up from your book that you attended the same high school in 
And our old friend, Nabil, uh, apparently was uh, hanging out, uh, or at least knew Sherry, who your sister, yeah. and we're learning this later. And I'd just like to tell you, that's the magic of Nabil's book, because um, it, us talking about it even has created that atmosphere. Your view of Salt Lake, I thought was really nice. I, I, I really, I was expecting something else, you know, I was just being, oh, okay, here well, we go. You listen to me. <laughs> Well, that and yeah, and a person of color being in Salt Lake City and being someone who's been to Salt Lake City. I'm like, oh, yeah. here it comes. You know, I'm already in Seattle, which you mentioned as well. Very, very white city. But Salt Lake is a white city. Yeah. And I really, I, I don't, I don't know if I have a question. I just really appreciated how you talked about it. I felt like I learned a lot more of, of an, ex, of, of at least your experience of Salt Lake City. Yeah. What's your view of it now? I mean, it's in the book, but. It was interesting. I mean, I was 10. I was born in, in New York City, lived, you know, single mother, young. My mother's white had me when she was 22. My father was never even meant to be in the picture. So there wasn't a divorce. He never left us. It was just me and my mother. That was the plan. Yeah. Um, mixed race kid, lived in New York, Amherst, Massachusetts, Cambridge for a little while. All these like sort of very diverse, hippie, low income communities where like I was just totally a normal kid, which was great. And then my mother got her MBA at UMass and we moved went back to New York. And then I did fifth grade in Greenwich Village at Little Red Schoolhouse, like this famous, super cool yeah. liberal school. And sixth grade at Wasatch Elementary in Salt Lake City, Utah, <laughs> because my mother got a job. She worked for American Express in New York. They moved a lot of the company to Salt Lake and we decided to go. And the idea was kind of, we'll try it out. And and I just remember thinking it was so far away. We went to visit to check it out first and saw Journey on the Escape Tour at the Salt yeah. Palace on that trip, which did seal part of it for me. It was like, wow, I thought I would be further from music, but we just walked across the street from our hotel and saw this show. Like, that was definitely part of it for me, like feeling that actually I had better access in New York where things sold out or were 21 and over or just hard to get into. So, so we tried it and... It was just lots of like, it never felt racist to me. It was more like kids asking if they could touch my Afro. I used to have one. It was like pretty, pretty big. And, uh, or, you know, why my father wasn't there or why I had a weird name, all those kinds of questions that didn't feel like kids were being mean or making fun. It just felt like they're like, whoa, who is this person? And we need to ask these questions because we've never been around someone like this. And at least I got that. So I wasn't super defensive. I was more like, I already knew what it felt like to be a normal kid. So it was weird to suddenly have these questions. And I, I just kind of like, I played drums already. I had a big record collection. We had MTV. I just like leaned into that and invited kids over all the time and tried to start a band and just like blended into the degree that I could. But there, there's a lot of stuff in the book that's still like, and that's what, you know, when you do this, when you're later, write about it and think about your life. Like, I was just thinking about how nothing really bad ever happened in Salt Lake, but I spent so much time and energy waiting for it to, if that makes mm. sense. I mean, the stuff I talk about in the book is like, you know, I was popular and went to parties and had fun and like went to all the proms and everything and always with white girls because that's what there are in Salt Lake or that's what there were then. And so I would go to pick up my date and every time I would get this real deep like fear, like what's going to happen? I'm going to get to the door. I'm going to meet her parents and... The mother is going to look at me and say, mm, I think my daughter's sick right now. Or the little brother is going to yell like, You're, who's this guy? He's black. Like, these are real things that went through my head every single time that just took tons of energy. And part of me is like, maybe I didn't need to be that careful and didn't need to ever think about it because it was fine. And then the other part of me is like, it's good because maybe I prevented lots of things from happening that I never knew about. So it's just, it's, it's interesting to look at years later and just wonder 
what might have been different. And as I read in the book, it gave you um, an escape from your father um, uh, and how you talked about, you know, being in Salt Lake. You didn't think, you you know, you're not going to run into him. I'm sure the name airs in Salt Lake is different than in New York. Just, I'm guessing, that's just a guess, but like right. not as many people would probably know who that means. I'm, I'm just guessing, but no, guessing yeah, that too. They, Salt Lake, they didn't. He, was, he didn't exist, which, which, which wasn't, and right. I wasn't trying to get away from him, but but in New York, right. we would literally run into him sometimes, which was just weird. It was always awkward because, I mean, one of those times I honestly didn't know who he was. My uncle and I were standing there talking to my father yeah. and he's asking me questions. And I was like, who's this guy? And why does he know things about me? Like, that would happen. So, so yeah, moving to Salt Lake just made that stop. I just never thought about it because he didn't exist. You yeah. talk about later that you, um, the way you talked about him changed too. And I found that interesting that, um, you know, my parents divorced, so I had an answer. And that's a pretty yeah. typical answer. In, yeah. in the early day, like when my parents first divorced, it still was weird that my parents yeah, divorced, yeah. but I, ha- I had an answer and I see why you would just answer that. I, but talk about how, you came to it, you know, in college, you started to talk about it differently, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. When we moved, I mean, yeah. So my parents were never divorced because they were never married. And it was sort of by design. My mother wanted to have yeah. a kid with my father and that's it. But by the time, when we moved to Salt Lake, that was just like, I was like, I'm, why would I want to explain this to anyone here? People are not going <laughs> to understand. And it's also just like, by by telling the truth, I would have been inviting a much longer conversation as a 10-year-old that I really didn't feel like having. Now I love having it. I've written 320 pages about it. But you know, as a 10-year-old, like, you just want to, whatever, go play or do what you're doing. You don't want to talk. You don't want a longer version of that conversation. So I started telling kids I was divorced or my that my mother was divorced when they asked. And that I just, like, it didn't feel good, but it did end the conversation. And I liked that. And that was the goal. People usually didn't pry beyond that, you know, so that that would end it. But eventually, in college, when I was like, I went to college when I was 17. But yeah, getting old enough, and also like, you know, around new people and new friends and sort of starting a new life in a way, I just realized, like, my mother did such an incredible job raising me. And it was never a weakness that my father wasn't in our life. And so it felt really like I was discrediting her by saying we were divorced. And it felt like something was wrong or something was broken. Not that that's what divorce always mean, but it just felt like that when I, it felt really dishonest because it was. And so I just started telling people the truth. And, and for a long time, it was a much longer conversation than I ever wanted to have, but you know, I did. <laughs> and now, now it's actually easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you can just go. Uh, right, here, read this. here you go. Here's my book. <laughs> just call me when you're done. It's yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah. It'll be $26. No, I, Venmo. I find this. I want to go back to Salt Lake for a second because a few things. Yeah. In Salt Lake, especially back in the 80s, um, it's a little more diverse now, but in the 80s, it was pretty much all Mormon. Mm-hmm. And that's. That's the dominant culture there is Mormonism, right? And most of those people are all white. And if they're not, they're Samoan or Tongan because the Mormons did all this missionary work in Mm -hmm. Samoa and Tonga. And then a lot of Samoans and Tongans are are living in Salt Lake. So that's what you have. But, But the dominant discourse there is married heterosexual people. At least on paper, yeah. Uh, at least on paper, right. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think gay porn is like the highest in Salt Lake. Anyway, um, it is. So those are the stats. So 
on paper. And there's this pervasive, but not a bad thing, this this sense of charity. I don't know how else to put it. Like people are very kind and charitable and polite Mm -hmm. as part of their culture and religion because that is their personal ascension into their celestial kingdom, right? Right, right. And so, no, seriously. So people are really fucking nice in Salt Lake. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what's going on internally and what's going on behind closed doors and all that is a whole other thing that even like as someone who is like a femme identifying person, I like could go into my whole shit, which I won't right now. (laughs) But, you know, I see that like. People are very, very nice, and they yeah. actually are genuinely nice. Yeah, I think they, they mean really it. are nice, and they it's, mean it's, it. It's a really nice place, and there's a lot of yeah. things to be nice about and to be happy about. Yeah. I and mean, I remember showing up there for the first time and just thinking, like, weird. Everyone on the street is saying hello, and it's just like, mm-hmm. so, and coming from New York in the '80s. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I, and so it makes sense that you'd be like, oh, my parents got divorced because, first of all, divorce is like barely anything someone can even consider back then right like that that was even like oh right okay. yeah wow You're but going to but hell. to even have a more nuanced conversation like was way way yeah. over the head yeah i think it's a, you know the, the 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 darkness thing you talk about i write about this in the book but i, I forgot about it because no one ever asks about the salt lake stuff but Right when we moved there, you know, I did fifth grade in New York City, which in, in 1982, like, you know, a dangerous mm-hmm. time, a sketchy city, loved it, and then moved to Salt Lake, the safest, most family-friendly place on earth. And one of the first things we had to do at my new school was take hair samples and fingerprints because there are all these murders happening in my mm-hmm. neighborhood. And it turned out that, you know, they caught the guy, but he, I think, murdered four or five kids. And there are all these rules. It's like, you can't, you know, if a car gets close and talks to you, you have to run the extra direction. Nobody can walk home from school alone. My mother recently found the hair and fingerprint samples. I have the little packet. I mean, this is like, I thought we were in Salt Lake now. (laughs) Now I knew people who were actually kidnapped. Yeah. So this is the thing. Ted Bundy. Yeah. Okay. Ted Bundy was all over Utah having dinner at our neighbor's, at our neighbor's house. Okay. So there is something to be said about being in a place that is so kind and so polite and so nice, but on the surface and, but then they're not actually dealing with so many things below the surface. Another great East High alum, Elizabeth Smart. That's Right. That's kidnap right. Victim. Great, great kidnap, kidnap story. victim. Crazy story. Yeah. My friend was kidnapped and uh, she got away. Um, She like got out of the car while it was moving it's and getting, broke her arm. It was getting and, very like, dark, yeah. very salt, like dark. Right no, now. but this is, but this is the weird <clears throat> shit, right? Like so I weird. actually yeah. think the more that you bring things to the surface, then you can actually see them and deal with them. And I think wow. the more you push them down you get fucking kidnappers and um you know <laughs> it feels good to laugh the kidnapping yeah i mean and I, and I and i mean that because you're not you aren't you don't actually have street smarts you're right. just kind of right. like oh well, yeah cool be, yeah. get in your car whatever right yeah. <laughs> then y'all moved to seattle good work <laughs> we did then we moved to seattle. nothing right, dark right. or serial killy about this place it's <laughs> totally fine up here <laughs> it's fine <clears throat> i I want to mention your your band names. Oh, Motion, 
motion oh, sickness. From the beginning. Okay, you're going I'd like to start with motion sickness. And then the other one, uh, was it SFW? Oh, Am I getting that right? Yes. Oh, God, what did, did it stand for Did you mean for Spontaneous now? Funk Whorehouse? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, Spontaneous <laughs> Funk Whorehouse. Yes. Yeah. There is no better question, by the way, when you're interviewing bands than past band names. But you actually lay them all out in your book, and it makes I me just, so happy. It was, it was sort of hard, and it was sort of easy. It was just like, what a great way to just like put it all out there. But, but the, 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 the Whorehouse band... <laughs> you did all right, man. For an early band, you were, yeah, you know, like selling stuff. in Tacoma. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I was like, yeah. wow, that's actually, you think that story's going somewhere else too. Like, well, that didn't work out. You're like, no, we sold our first run and we right, like right. played in front of so-and-so and KGRG played us. Yeah, man, I may have seen you. I watched yeah. those bands you were talking about. Right, right. I was kind of shocked at the at the music part of it. And and as you come up here to Seattle, I'd like to jump to that too. Um just because that's where we met. And it was, again, I'm sure you've heard this from some of your Seattle friends. It was just really, it was kind of, it was nice to see all Jason Hughes' name in there and and Matt Vaughn and and mutual friends and Steph and other people right. who helped you along the way and, and yeah. see your perspective. Because I know they're good humans, but I loved hearing how you talked about them in such like, just, I don't know, your narrative about them was really nice. It was good uh, to read. That's, it's, that, that's it again, again, the like sort of decades later, you realize how important people were at the time. It's hard to know when it's happening, but really, I mean, the big one for me was, yeah, Steph Fairweather, who I was an intern at Polygram, which at the time was like a big major label. And there was this moment where she basically told me like, you say your name too softly when you introduce yourself to people. Say it like you mean it and say it three times. And I totally started doing that. And I totally remember that. That was a huge life lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And and meeting Matt and seeing a guy that young own a record store. <laughs> I know, he's still there. I forget <laughs> that. I know he's Matt. But I than ever. It's amazing. Yeah, I know him now. I mean, I've known him then. But like, I think of Matt as now. You know how it goes. You think of him now. Yeah. And I, we live, we're like a couple right, miles right. from Easy Street Records. For anyone outside of Seattle, mm-hmm. go there. It's a great record store. <laughs> and... Thinking of you and Jason Hughes opening at that age, and that's when I met you. I because I knew yeah. Jason. So you talk about Jason and the record store and how that together you built that. You probably wouldn't without Jason. And right. and you talked about his radio shows. And I actually took over both his radio shows. Right. That's crazy. One at the end. I remember that at the end, uh, he brought me in, and I didn't know why he was. And it was eventually just to go to Phil Manning, the program director at the yeah. time, and say like. This guy, he actually told him in the office, this guy's your new local host. <laughs> God, I remember Jason opening Christmas presents from his mom on that show. It was the saddest radio show I've ever done. <laughs> that dude could, that dude made more fun of himself than I think anyone I've ever met. He was so self-deprecating. It was socks. It was like, it was like, what are you? He goes, I got a bag. It's all the presents from my mom. I go, and you're going to open those on the air? He goes, yeah. They're, they're going to be terrible. So, okay. And that's Jason to me. I, I So I owe Jason a lot too. Yeah. Bring some personality to the radio, you know? Oh yeah. He yeah. taught me actually a little bit of, of hosting local shows. And I took over Audio Oasis over on yeah, yeah. KCMU, which later was KEXP. But you and Jason opened that record store. Um, and it was, I mean, for people like you talk about, like when you opened the record store, how there was nobody there. I remember eventually going there when people like that was the place you went to with Sonic Boom Records. Can you just right. tell me about like, that's got to be a dream come true, right? When you open oh, it. My camera just changed. Um, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it's funny because I've talked to a lot of people about it since the book. And the thing that stands out for me that made it work was really the fact that 
1997 in Seattle, when we were 25 years old, Seattle was or was or at least could be a very inexpensive city. And that's the only way it worked. We each had houses with roommates where we paid like $300, $350 a month rent, had like a little credit card debt, but nothing crazy. And that was it. And so we were paying ourselves like $250 every two weeks to work at the store. Like it didn't, it didn't cost that much money to do. I think we opened that store for $30,000, which was like half credit cards, half a loan from his mom. And like, even if it had failed, we would have lost a bunch of money, but we wouldn't have been bankrupt. It wouldn't have been life ruining. So it was like a time when you could do that. And that's a lot harder now, at least certainly in Seattle and a lot of cities. Yeah. And, and you continue down that road of, of, uh, that I mentioned earlier in the, in the music business, you kind of, you spell it out and it really shows you the path you were on when you're reading it and you know where you end up at beggars. It's really interesting to read how much you were learning and sucking up, like just not just with playing music, but you talk a lot about how much enjoyment you got out of the music industry, like being a part of a band's success or being part of a, I guess I should put it differently. And Amy did this with events and I did this, I do this when I play bands on the radio, but but having a little part of the success is what I liked how you talked about. Like, talk talk to people about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, now I get asked a lot. I mean, I played in bands for years and now I run a record label and I get the sort of like, so how did you pivot from the creative side to the business side? It's like a lot of versions of that question. And to me, it's, it's always like, I, I didn't and I won't. <laughs> it's, I've always yeah. been on the creative side, starting when I like, you know, tried to play shows when I was seven and charged a dollar at the door. And the playing music was really fun and the charging a dollar and each of me and my friends making three dollars each that day was really fun. Like I always understood that it's all it all works together. Like it's not necessarily that you have to make money during it, but but like that can be part of it and that's not a bad thing and you know in high school would record demos with, with motion sickness my high school band and uh and i was the one who'd be like cool we recorded the, these three songs let's go to kinko's and draw covers and copy them and dub tapes tonight and sell them at school tomorrow like and that's literally what a record label is that's it you record something you make copies of it you sell it so i just always like had that instinct and always really got joy out of that part of it too it wasn't just you know i wasn't like the drummer who didn't care about the other stuff i was the drummer who really cared about the other stuff and then through like record company internship college radio just kind of always learned a lot about both sides of the music business i suppose so to me it felt totally natural that i mean like the last band i was in was the long winters which was great and was so much fun um and when that kind of wound down, which is like 2007, eight, started working at 4AD soon after that and really realized like, to me, the long winters was maybe 50% playing. And then also I just loved like, this is great. I get to go to Europe. It's so fun to talk to all these label people that we meet in the different territories or festival bookers. And then, so once I started at 4AD, the playing part was gone and I missed it, but I realized how much fun it was to work with a bunch of other bands who all kind of had some degree of success. It was aware that something would totally fail. Of course, there are things that didn't do as well as we wanted them to, but it was great because it was like, wow, there's always something going well. And I can always still feel that feeling I had in a band connected to this, to the thing that now I just get paid to do. And I love it. And it's great. So it's still like that, where it's very much like, you know, I'm not playing music, but I still get a good chunk of what I liked about playing music from working in music. It's all, it's all using your creative brain. Right. I mean, entrepreneurial endeavors are being creative. Right. Um, 
playing music as being creative. Playing mm -hmm. in a band, you are solving problems with your creative brain musically. Right. <laughs> running, you know, running a record label, you're solving problems using your creative brain. And I actually, I, I honestly think creatives rule the world and, you know, everybody else, it's just... <laughs> Yeah. Everybody else is just part of the creative. <laughs> I mean, I and I mean it because I think that we are all creative beings. I just think some of us have more, we're more drawn to the arts or more drawn to music. But at the end right. of the day, solving problems is a creative process. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's funny. I mean, I love the term creative. A lot of people consider themselves creatives, but I feel bad sometimes for people that therefore don't. And I think a lot of the time people are wrong when they're like, well, you know, like I'm not a creative person or whatever. It's like, I think most people actually are, or at least have some element of it, but feel like because whatever, maybe they have three more friends who are painters or something like that, that they therefore right. are not. And I do think it's like, I mean, Chase Jarvis, our common mutual friend is very big yeah. on all of this. Like, I think it is there for most people. It's about finding it and figuring out a version of it that makes you happy. Yeah, and part of it, you talk about the DNA, you know, but at the same time, you talk about these uh, siblings you you find and are probably still finding um, who, who are not making music. You're even music. finding my siblings. You're, you're finding these as well. <laughs> and, but I also, you know, the way that you, your mother raised you and supported you and backed whatever it was you were doing, I, I found a little emotional with my own mother because she did the same single mom who always believed in me when it seemed kind of nuts, yeah. you know, and, and did you have a feeling then you write about it? So you you have those feelings. Now you really can, can feel your love for your mother and respect and how much you appreciate how hard she worked and inspired you. Did you have that then? Were there, did it hit at a certain age? How much, I know kids don't necessarily have it. Yeah. It took me years. I remember when I did, but when did you start to really see, maybe, is the question, your mom yeah, for what she is? It's hard. I mean, probably not till later, but I do remember, I, I, don't, I never really gave my mother a hard time, if that makes sense. And this it was just me and her, you know, never had money till we moved to Salt Lake. Then we weren't nearly as rich as some of my friends. And that's, of course, always how you gauge it. But suddenly had enough money to, like, buy records and buy toys and go out to dinner. So it felt like we were rich all of a sudden in Salt Lake. But... But when we were even really poor as a kid, I just remember, I remember thinking sometimes like, which was pretty, I don't know why my young brain did this, but it's like, don't get into this with your mother, leave her alone. She's working really hard and she's doing a really mm. good job. I remember thinking that probably less so as a teenager because teenagers are so bratty and you just want everything and you don't understand why. <laughs> but I think as a younger kid, knowing that and just knowing that like, maybe seeing people where things weren't as good and realizing you know, no matter how much I want something, like, my life is better than that person's. I think it's always, as a kid, it's always about the comparison. And I knew that she was working really hard and that things were good. You had a really healthy uh, relationship with your uncle as well. And and um, I, how that comes through on the in the book, too, is inspiring. Just, you you could, you, you, you knew you were, you were loved. <laughs> you knew you were supported. And then you, I think, gave you the space to actually struggle with the, with your father not being in the picture. Right. Right. Like, cause you had the support and you had the ability to sit and think about that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the uncle thing is so funny cause he's, uh, it's my mother's younger brother who oh, yeah, yeah. made this incredible album when I was a kid in 1975. And then I reissued that album in 2018 and it kind of did much better than 
anyone thought it would. And so he made a new album, his second album, that came out in 2020, 45 years later. Wow. And then last week in New York, we recorded the third album. <laughs> That's gonna come no out, way. Gonna come out next spring. It's so I think he's 72, <laughs> 73. It's so much fun. And this is the person who bought me a drum set when I was two years old. So. So it's really funny when, like, he's, you know, he's very grateful and always says so. But I'm like, you don't need to thank me. This is like, you literally <laughs> bought me a drum set when I was two years old. Also, a lot of the book stuff stemmed from that reissue thing where that's when I started writing about being a kid in New York. It's, it's, so it's all wrapped up in the same thing. But, yeah, he's he's an amazing figure. And, and so it is interesting that sort of the way you're posing it is, like, with him and my mother and then my father kind of being the opposite, but also me still always recognizing that the plan was for him to be the opposite. So he didn't break any (laughs) rules or agreements, but still it just got harder as an adult when I really just wanted information and wanted to know about my siblings and about my ancestors and about health history and things. And he gave me a little info, but then really kind of disappeared. So that's when it started to become hard. But that's also when I started really digging into things. And that's why I know so much now. So I'm even thankful for that, if that makes sense. Have people, I don't, you know, maybe it's people interview you or people in your world. Do they take sides? There's sides. Do, is there like a, well, your mom, you know, she did the wrong thing. She should have done it. Or your dad, he was, he sucks. He should have been in the power. Or you, like, why are you so, hey, you got, they told you the agreement and you have to, like, has that, has that been a thing? All of this. The, my favorite one is pretty recently. I did a, uh, I did a, a book talk, whatever, in conversation thing at, the University of Southern Oklahoma a few weeks mm. ago. And a professor who was great got up and it was like the Q&A part. And he's like, I just have to say like, I just like, it's almost like emotional. He's like, I just have to say like, I think your father's a real asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what am I supposed to do? Like cheer or say thank you or something? It's like, cause that's, first of all, it's yes. not a question. It's called the, not the answer and answer. It's the question and answer. But <laughs> you know, so, so that happens. But yeah, there is, People are much more sensitive, though, about my mother, but there are ways that people will say, like, you know, were you ever angry at her for the decisions mm. that she made? Or did you ever question that? that those are definitely common questions. And, and, and it's I'm happy to talk about those things. I mean, of course, no matter what, no matter how you look at it, it's pretty selfish as a 21-year-old to say, I want to get pregnant and have a kid by myself and see what happens. But she was right. <laughs> So how could I be mad about? She did a great job. Better job. I mean, you turned out pretty good, man. I it, <laughs> I, I can't thanks. see her as a bad guy because <laughs> right. you're yeah. you know you're right. so you're I get contrib- really protective. But but the other funny thing that happens is I get protective of my father sometimes too, and that's mm. a really strange family dynamic. I talked to someone last week who's like, my father's alive and still playing music. I just don't know him. And someone was like, so your father uh, your father was a jazz musician, and I'm like, my father is a jazz musician, and I like get this real like. I can feel it, this assholic quality in my voice. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I on this side of it with him right now? But I, I, I'll do that when necessary. I think it's just a family thing, I guess. I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what you're doing, but <laughs> my observation is you're defending what is so. You're just defending the story. That's true. You're just defending your own history when people try to put it in a box. Right. And, and you're when, just and like, they're wrong. <laughs> there are no boxes. That's right. And right. y'all wrong, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're just defending what is so, which is what is the magic of the story or what is your own experience. And I think that the more that people bring to light, coming back to the beginning, 
their stories, more of us can learn about each other that everything isn't just status quo right. and everybody everything isn't just fitting in these like boxes we think they're supposed to fit in regardless of what your story is and i actually think it makes us more interesting yeah and it makes us more uh connected i agree with all of that <laughs> well very well How said <laughs> I'm not even trying to remember that whole response. It's great. It's, it's recorded. You can. <laughs> All right, right. I'm, I'm sure you've. I'm. I'm going to have to ask something. I know you've been asked, but I. I got to ask about your dad in this book, though. I, I in my mind, I'm thinking the. Your dad. You don't know how your dad. Maybe looks at this book. So you know. But I think of him as how he is dealing with you. Is maybe how he's dealing with the book. Or, I mean, he must get asked. Has he read the book? I we don't no know. Idea. That's the weird right? thing. So he doesn't, That's... yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm still not in touch with him. I haven't heard from him. I, I, I wasn't expecting to, and I don't expect yeah. to. That's not weird to me. It wasn't the goal yeah, and yeah. It, it wasn't even a guess. So, but I think, yeah, it's a, he definitely has to know about it. But I mean, I know people who know him and <laughs> they haven't told me anything, but it, it would be, I, it would surprise me if he's read it, but but this is yeah. all just conjecture. I don't know, but he, so, so surely he knows about it. Um, and you know, I don't know. I think, I think in the end he comes out pretty, he, he got away pretty clean in the book and, and in life. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> I thought he did. I yeah. thought he did. I, I, I mean, it was definitely he... not meant to be, you know, I'm not, it's not supposed to be a teardown at all. And the only time I was worried about it was during the several months when it was like announced and there was a pre-order link up and it had like, you know, you could read the basic story, but you couldn't read the book. And so that was the mm. period where I was like, is he going to find out about this and get mad and assume it's really bad? Like that was when I was worried. But once it came out, I was like, okay, now at least someone can say to him like, yeah, you came out pretty good. Um, I want to talk about my favorite part of your book. Oh yeah. Oh. I mean, I love the Salt Lake stuff because I was just like, what? No, you know, uh, my favorite part is when you are with your dad's sister at your grandparents' grave. Mm -hmm. I welled up in tears. I was, I was on my morning walk and I was listening to the oh. audiobook, the Nabil in the ears. Yeah, that was weird to hear your friend read the book. It was so awesome. Strange. What do you mean? It was awesome. <laughs> now I, I know how people feeling feel. so <laughs> proud to know you. Um, <laughs> that was my favorite moment because I had so much like happiness and grief at the same time in like a sort of empathetic relationship with you at that moment yeah. because I was doing the math. My brain just does math all the time, by the way. That's like always doing math. Right. And I was doing math when you were saying the birth years and the death years. And the death year of your grandmother was 85, I believe. Mm. And you were born in 72? 72, right. So I had this like sadness that you mm. didn't meet your grandmother. Me too. Yeah. And at the same time, I was feeling so happy <laughs> that you had found your aunt and were standing there at yeah. their grave. It was a pretty powerful moment. I'm so glad that, I, I mean, it took, once I met my aunt, my father's younger sister by two years, who like looks like she could be my mother, I, I hung out with her a couple times in LA. She was just wonderful, so open, told me so many new things I wanted to know that I didn't get from my father. And and I think pretty early on, I was like, I would. she was talking a lot about 
my, her parents, my grandparents, and I was just like, where they're buried and where and will you take me there? And she was immediately very open. And so we planned it. And uh and I was just like really nervous the whole day that something was gonna go wrong or that the, even the whole time around her I was worried that it's gonna seem like I wanted something from her, but which I did, but like what I wanted was to go to the cemetery and meet my grandparents and she took me there. It's a much longer story than is in the book. It was much more stressful because we were meeting our cousins who are closer to my age for lunch afterwards. And it was really hot out and we couldn't find the grave. And she's like, she was getting stressed because she's like, I'm getting older. I've been here so many times. This is really <laughs> disappointing. And like, we were kind of walking so slowly. And then she's diabetic and the cousin is texting me like, we need to get her some food. How long are you guys going to be? I and mean, it's really <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a lot. And I wrote all of this. And of course, it ends up being compressed into a much more sure. <laughs> better thing. But this is, yeah, but once we got there, it was just like everything shut down. It was just me and her and her literally introducing me to my grandparents. It was incredible. What a crazy, cool experience to have. And she sadly passed away last year, which is so mm -hmm. sad, but I'm just so lucky and so glad that I got to spend time with her. Yeah, you're kind of, um, I don't say relentless, but just your passion to figure this out is in, it's great, man. I, and I didn't know that about you. You know, I've known you a long time. A good word, I think. Yeah. You. And I, I just felt like I, I wish all my friends would write a book so I could, <laughs> you know, like what, because, you know, you ask questions, but just that um, journey you've been on is, and especially in the last uh, few years, I really, yeah. I am with Amy. Like once you, this is a, I mean, I can't, I've been recommending this book to everyone, but when you get, it's such a great story. And then you get to the last few chapters and you're just like, wow, you just found everybody. Like his family members, just, if you haven't read this, they're just everywhere and loving and, and supportive and take you to the grave and, and your view and how you come around to found family and yeah. blood or not blood, or even going back to this Karen who's... <laughs> family or people you thought was your sister, you know, know. it's a lot. It's, it's really it's, funny. Cause the, 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 there was an original ending that was a fantasy scene. It was me at, it was my wife and I, my wife, AJ, who I believe is listening. Shout out to my beautiful wife, AJ. Oh, hi. <laughs> and, uh, it was the, the fantasy scene was me and AJ going to some sort of family reunion and walking around in LA and it's the sun is shining and all this stuff. And we get there and everyone kind of from the book and even some imagined people, everyone's there. And it's this magical moment, the end. And I loved it. And my editor, who was wonderful to work with, she's like, look, it's your book. I'm not, I know this is an important thing. Will you try something? And I was like, what? And she's like, well, why do you have a fantasy scene at the end of the book when it actually all happened and you did it? And I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought of it. So she's like, will you try writing an ending where you just talk about what actually happened? It's more powerful. And she was right. And that's what the ending is now. But it took someone to like tell me that. I think I still didn't realize it even at the time. Well, hmm. I mean, for so long, your that side of your family was a fantasy. or Right. You know, and certainly that half. Yeah, completely imaginary. Yeah. I this is just in my own brain. But when I was reading your book or listening to it, um, I kind of thought about your father as like almost like a tapestry, <laughs> almost like a tapestry just kind of in whatever room you were in. Right. And, but behind it were all these people who had been there all along. And you kept saying that, like, they've been here. Like right. they had full lives. Like they were born, right. they were toddlers, they were like, they were people. And, but how 
they came to light later in your life and later in their lives and how how much of a kind of a cool but kind of a mind fuck that is yeah, you know like totally so what are your i mean do you sit around and try to like go back to the past a lot with them or like try to figure out you know kind of like i was doing with you in salt lake i was like oh i was at this place and you're right, in heber right. and we were you know like do yeah. you do you try to go backwards and like make connections about where you were? You did a little bit in the book. A little but... bit, not not too much. I mean, there's not a lot. Of, we, you know, so much of my father's family is in and from Los Angeles, and so and I never spent time here as a young person. So there's not a lot of the like, were we in the same room kind of thing. But there are interesting people I've met. Now, I think three of the people who play on Everybody Loves the Sunshine and my father's album from 1976, which is wild. And so with two of them, I'm like, I was at the show in Amherst in 1979 that you played. And they can be like, oh, I remember that show really well. Here's what we did the night before. Like that part of it is fascinating to just like, I don't know. There's something about the physical idea of like, we're in the same exact room on this date 40 something years ago. That, that happens a lot. That happens more and more. Yeah. And it's really fun. Well, we want to get you out of here, Nabil. I know you're very busy. You're down in LA right now. This has been uh, and, so fun. Uh, I I want to say one line that you said that I that you described what exactly how I felt when I heard the Pixies. You said I didn't possess the vocabulary to describe it. And as someone who's heard it and didn't understand what was happening, mm-hmm. like I heard all this music, and then exactly how you you put it in, and you're like I can't figure this out. And then yeah. yeah, you described Black Francis, Frank Black's lyrics, how they were menacing, but Kim Deals were um I don't remember what you said, they're more inviting. Yeah. Um, right. I I I and then what happened to me is I heard this tape. I didn't think anyone had heard it because I was in Spokane, right? And I was downtown and some busker dude, I'm walking by and he's singing gigantic. He's what? like true story and i'm walking by and i just hear a big big love i'm like what the fuck what the fuck like we're talking about the same song (laughs) yeah yeah, the same song that's in your book and it was someone covering it like you all did and um and i don't know what like that's the song you cover i don't even understand like some real synergy going on wow (laughs) but i was happy to hear you're you're of the same age and and moved to seattle the same time and pixies had a similar effect i didn't i didn't get i think that was that probably was the do little show that you saw in 89 i didn't get to see them till and i wonder if you were at the show 90 so that would have been bossa nova for them they hope it was Jane's Addiction on Ritual, Pixies on Boss Nova, and Primus opening at the Seattle yep. Arena. Okay, I saw that <laughs> in Salt Lake. Oh, wow. At the fairgrounds? Where was at that? At the fairgrounds, yeah. <laughs> I, was at the the La- I, I was <laughs> yes. at the Lollapalooza yeah. you mentioned, though. I, oh, I was, I was definitely... at the Lo- the Enum Claw, the first one. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Raining. Yeah, I broke my toe there. Yeah, I remember it very well. <laughs> that's when I bought Doc Martens after that. I said, oh, Amazing. that's why you wear them. Yeah, I couldn't play Frisbee, man. It totally ruined my so summer. <laughs> and I have seen the Lemons many times. I clearly, I have known and played and watched uh, Alien Crime Syndicate over the years. I was yeah. a big supporter. And, of course, the Long Winners, uh, again, another big supporter. No one has ever heckled me more than John Roderick of the Long Winners. <laughs> I remember one time, lead singer, I was leaving the, the barbecue y'all played. Oh yeah, she, that was really fun. Yeah, She put the show together and I left at some point because I, 
I have to get out of there. You know, it's kind of a yeah. KXP well, me. After and the this long is... winter's played. Yeah. Well, while you were playing, I had to get the fuck out of there. And I put like, that show together, I'm but saying, that was not right. the first time I met Nabil. No, but I'm leaving and I'm on the street and I'm like, I got to go, you know, before everyone. And I don't want to talk to everyone. I guess, you know, I got to get yeah, out of here. I do. And I hear him from the stage as I'm walking alone ripping something about me apart and i'm like stand and i put my head down and just shake me i'm like motherfucker god that sounds right it sounds yeah, right John. so he is playing at the smooch I the children's that. hospital benefit coming up in december some more synergy for us all awesome. um coming up so i i just a small world and i'm i'm I, i'm glad i know more about your world to be able it's, it's uh, really inspiring thank you this has really been fun thank you for having me <laughs> i know it's yeah. all over the place but man oh, it it there's, there's, yeah, I'm just, and, and he has a, as someone who's known you, I'm just, I'm really proud of you and, and just everything you've done and, and the, the inspiring, I know you're going to inspire other people. I know you have with this book and your life and, um, and it's brave to put this down on paper and to take that chance. And I, I'm just, uh, just kind of blown away by it. It's just really great. Thanks. I really I, appreciate it. I, uh, I want to thank you for giving me a new story and a new memory yeah. about my sister. Oh, wow. I mean, you're welcome. That's really amazing. And I'm so sorry, but also so happy. I I remember that really well. And it was really fun. Great night. Yeah. Well, we'll be remembering her at the Moore Theater. God, this is just way too much synergy here. It's getting weird. But we're going to be at the Moore on on Sunday, actually. Again, the first place I ever saw a show. We're hosting our Death of Music event. And this book is amazing. Uh, My Life in the Sunshine, Searching for My Father, Discovering My Family. And um, I will never listen to your dad's music the same ever again. (laughs) And maybe not yours as well. Real quick, too. what 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 am I getting excited about from your label? What is... Oh, what is, what am I going to deal with? Can you tell me anything or is it stuff I already know? I can't, can't announce anything that hasn't been announced. So what What are we excited about now? I can't even. I mean, we're talking about Sampha right now. That that record just came out a couple weeks ago. Um, Oh God, I'm trying to think. I'm going to ruin something. I'm going to get myself in trouble. We're just excited about everything. It's all great. (laughs) I went, like I said, I, um, I went to their office. It's pretty great. And uh, my friend Elena works over there. It was a, just a champion of music and uh, had a really nice time. So thanks for giving me a little, I got a little tour. It was great. Yeah, so I, I'm a nerd. I like when you said you were buying the records that had 4D or sub <laughs> yeah, That was right, same. Right. Go to 4,000 holes and be walk up to Bob, the owner, and be like, uh, you got Flying Nun, you got Sub Pop, yep. you got um, Matador, was it Matador at the time? I think. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, yeah. Right? And and 4AD was a no-brainer. Yeah. Like, 100% of what was on that label, I loved. And so... So just, fun. You've got to be a nerd about it, too. I'm yeah. super nerd. It's amazing. <laughs> when I'm done all these Kanto Twins repressings that are coming now. Like, it's oh, so much fun. Yeah. I... It's your favorite bit? This is my favorite. <laughs> Okay, we could go yeah, we into like podcast we're part let two, go part work. three. <laughs> Nabil, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks, it's great buddy. to see you. Thank you. Um, I'm in LA in a lot. Person. Are you? Let's, he yeah, tends let's to be in, in New York a lot, so yeah. you know. We got to hang out somewhere. Yeah. We got to get. Yeah, down. we got to hang out. And real quick, have you talked to Jason Hughes lately at all? Um, I'm trying to think. Has he read the book? I'm sure he has. Yeah, he comes out very well. We talked a few months ago. We had his birthday. We hung out on his birthday at South by Southwest. That would have been March, but I feel like I've seen him since then somewhere. Yeah, we, we stay in touch. Yeah. He's great. Good. Well, give him my love if you I will. Uh, if you see him. I haven't talked to him in a long time. A big thank you to Nabil for taking the time. A big thank you to Ruinous Media for hosting. Uh, as always, Patrick, thank you so much. And a big thank you to all of you for listening, subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can go to uh, the Doctor and the DJ on Instagram and online, doctorandthedj.com. We have another retreat 
planned out, not in California this not time. Not in California. Nabil, where can everybody find you? Yeah, where do they get Nabil information? I mean, Nabil Ayers, N-A-B-I-L-A-Y-E-R-S dot com, or I'm at Nabil Ayers on all the things. Awesome. He, yeah, and yeah. get his book, uh, Do Not Wait. And he does sound very good, by the way, on the audiobook. I, yeah. enjoyed, I enjoyed having my friend Nabil around with me. Uh, for, I half read it and I half did the audio. I felt like... I don't know. I just feel like I should do both. Yeah, I've done fun. that. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I'm not alone on that. No. All right. Thanks to Beal and thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you.